I'm Jim Winter. I'm with Apple Tree Developer Technical Support, and I'm going to cover an introduction to drivers and Apple supervisory drivers. What we're going to be talking about today is the device level. As this slide shows, the device level covers everything from device dispatchers and device drivers up to the device manager. The device manager is up at the file system level, and you call it like you would call an FST from an application. Basically, we aren't going to cover hardware because that's going to be very specific to whatever device driver you're writing. A GSO's driver is a program that executes from RAM and it directly or indirectly handles all input and output from a hardware device and also provides information to the system about the device. It basically gives us a nice consistent way to talk to peripheral devices. Benefits that you get from using GSO as a device driver to talk to hardware is you get future compatibility for you and your customers. So if you update your hardware and update your driver, the customer's application isn't going to break because the interface is exactly the same. You achieve language independence because you can write uh, code that talks to a device driver for Pascal, Assembly, C, no matter who the language vendor was, and all they have to do is make regular GSOS calls and the device driver will handle it. It also gives other programmers a way to talk to your hardware device. And the advantage of doing that is other programmers will find ways to use your device that you didn't think of. Think about how many hardware devices you've seen disappear in the past because the only program you ever saw that used that hardware device was the one that shipped with it. There's two different kinds of drivers that GSOS supports, device drivers and supervisor drivers. Device drivers are accepts a standard set of calls, uh, device I.O. calls, that are made by an ST or an application through device manager. Basically, uh, you would think of device drivers as things that talk to specific types of devices, like a SCSI hard disk, or a serial port, or an Apple, some part of Apple Talk, or one of the floppy drives, or a CD-ROM drive. Supervisory drivers basically arbitrate the use of a hardware controller or arbitrate the use of individual pieces of peripherals that hang off of uh, one piece of hardware among different device drivers. An example of that are under GSOS at the SCSI manager or the SDC manager. Basically, you've got two different kinds of SCSI cards in the Apple II GSR SCSI manager supports, and you've got multiple things that you can hook up to either one of those cards. You can hook a CD-ROM drive up to it, a CD-PAR drive up to it, a scanner. Uh, you've got to have some way to arbitrate the use of all that hardware. Device drivers can also be classified by block drivers or character drivers. Block drivers write out individual blocks or read individual blocks of data from the disk and you can do random access. Character drivers are sequential devices and you, read, you can either read one character at a time or a stream of characters, but it's all coming from a string. An example of that would be like a serial port or a keyboard. You can't go back and get, retrieve a key that was pressed an hour ago. Another way to classify GSOS drivers is loaded drivers and generated drivers. Loaded. Oops. Okay. 
Sorry about that. I'm not watching behind me. <laughs> you get stabbed in the back somewhere. Okay. Uh, loaded drivers are drivers that are written and are loaded by TSOS when the system starts out. Loaded drivers can also be installed uh, after the system has been started up by a system service call, and Greg will talk about that in a little bit. Generated drivers are drivers that are built by TSOS to talk to Prodos 8 type firmware. The types of firmware that it talks to are Pascal, uh, the basic interface, the old Prodos disk block type interface, smart port interface, and the extended smart port interface. Um, the advantage of loaded drivers over generated drivers is loaded drivers can be optimized to talk to an individual piece of hardware, and they aren't, and you can optimize them to do multi-byte or multi-block reads and writes, where the firmware in most cases is going to do one block at a time or one byte at a time on a compared device. When you are writing a device driver, you can request services from from the operating system from supervisory drivers and system service calls. Um, Greg's going to talk about system service calls in a little bit, and I'm going to basically describe the supervisory drivers that Apple supplies. And those are the SCSI manager and the STC manager. The SCSI manager accepts uh, SCSI driver calls from either the SCSI hard disk driver, the SCSI CD driver, and as we design more device drivers, it'll accept it from it. And it basically gives GSOS a way to communicate with each of those SCSI devices that are out on one or more cards. Uh, you should use the services of the SCSI manager if you're writing a loaded driver that's going to use a SCSI device that connects to one of Apple's SCSI interface cards. SCSI Manager provides three driver-specific calls. Those are request devices, claim devices, and I.O. devices. Uh, all supervisory drivers also accept a set of standard calls, and you don't really need to know anything about them unless you're going to write your own supervisory driver, and that's covered in the GSOS Drivers Reference Manual. Um, basically, they allow the operating system to start up the supervisory driver, shut down the supervisory driver, and it allows device drivers to find out um, what, what supervisory driver number is this particular uh, manager is using. Yes? GSOS driver's manual? That's currently what's called Bonnet 2. We're going to be coming out with a revised version of it sometime later this year. We'll stick our neck out until we hope it's in the next Apple Walk. Yeah. Sure. Right now, there, we just sent them the uh, comments on the last beta version within Apple, and so they're working on the final version of it right now, which should go to Apple sometime early fall. Final one as in hardbound? It will not be an Addison West. It'll be a final NAFTA, which means that you'll get it loosely to where you can stick it in notebooks or on a documentation rack or whatever. Anyway, the calls that are supported by the SCSI manager, I went over the three calls. The first one's request device. So what request device allows the device driver to do is get a list of every SCSI device that's out on the SCSI chain. He makes that and it returns in a buff. What? Of the, of the type it's requesting. It won't get all the devices, but it wants to know all the scanner devices yeah. or all the tape devices. So basically, when your device driver is starting up, it's going to want to know about all the devices of its type that are out there. And so this is the call that it makes to the SCSI manager to get that list. 
once it has a list of those devices, it's probably going to want to claim them so other drivers won't be using them because you're going to have, in, a, in the way device drivers work, you have one device driver per device. You don't, they don't, they can share common code within it, but they look at the individual devices. You don't have one device driver that, or one, one div, one div, or device driver information block that talks to multiple devices. Anyway, so claim devices let you claim individual devices out of the study. But, Jim, yes. Just a uh, quick comment on the claim devices. If you write a driver specifically for a certain hard disk, you're going to want to identify that hard disk and then claim it so that the generic HD driver that Apple supplies can still talk to all the other hard disks, but not talk to yours. Uh, so if you have some special features that you want to promote, you can do it that way. And the claim will prevent the, the Apple driver from uh, using that device. That way you can uh, guarantee uh, a lack of contention there between the two drivers. By the way, Matt wrote discussing managers at The last call is I.O. And I.O. allows drivers to access the device. And that takes care of all input-output operations, right, Matt? <laughs> Hey, I got that one right. <laughs> the other manager that we supply is the STC manager. Yeah, a little bit. Lots of words up here. I'll step back so everybody can see them. But basically, the SCSI manager, or I mean the STC manager, is what uh, arbitrates the hardware use of the STC. And right now, the only device that uh, uses the STC manager is Apple Talk. If we were to write a loaded serial driver, it would have to use the services of the, of the SEC manager to make sure that it's not trying to grab the port that Apple Talks are using, or grab the port that another device driver is already playing. The SEC manager, besides the standard manager calls, gives you three manager-specific calls, which are Apple Talk client, get channel status, and set channel status. Apple Talk Client allows somebody to write their own GSOS driver that implements a new protocol on top of Apple Talk. And basically, if you were going to do that, you'd want to be able to get a uh, specific unit number that's not, and this is what this is the call that you use to get that unit number. You would also use the Apple Talk Client call if you're writing an <coughs> Apple Talk driver to obtain a unique socket number for Apple Talk for your code. It's described a little bit more in the file type number for the driver's file type. Thanks, Matt. <coughs> get channel status pretty much does what it says. It gets the status of both channels on the SCC. And that way you can find out if it's available for anybody to use, whether it's already being used by somebody else where you can't use it, or whether it's being it's available but you can only share it with somebody else where you don't have full control over it. I don't know of very many situations where you'd want to set it up as can be shared. Unless you had, unless you wrote two device drivers yourself that work well together. Set channel status lets you set the available used or can be shared status of an individual SCC channel. I think this right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to turn it over to Greg now, and he's going to talk about system service calls available to drivers. And here it is. 
And I'm gonna see if I can uh, make this a little bit smarter. That way I can line those up. Uh, system service calls supplied by the DOS, as we like to call it, are very similar to the application level calls that uh, you use from the application level, such as set prefix, uh, open files, things like that. The only difference is, of course, at a driver level, you can't make OS calls because the OS is busy, obviously, otherwise you wouldn't be running your code. So, these, the OS supplies these system service calls which are accessed via uh, vectors that are within GSOS itself. Some of those system service calls are there to support caching. working out pretty good, I uh, Caching, of course, if, if you're writing a loaded driver, to make it easier on the end user and to improve the performance of the system, you should be using caching whenever possible. Uh, does everybody know what caching is? So I don't have to explain that. You don't know it at all. Okay. So everybody knows what caching is. I can skip the description. Thank you. Uh, then I'll just go through the calls here. Cache find block you can call this system service vector to let the cache manager try to locate a particular block, disk block, in the cache and return a pointer to that block back to your driver. So that way, like say for example, your driver gets a read call. Well, you can check the cache to see if that block is already in the cache, and if it is, you simply return it without even having to read the disk. On a write call, you would check to see if, if the block is there so that you can update the block in the cache to make sure that both the disk copy and the cache copy are identical. Cache add block is used when, you're, when you receive a write call when cache find block didn't find the block in the cache. Uh, if the, the, whoever called your driver requested that that particular block be cached and it's not already in the cache, then you call cache add block put it in the cache. Cache delete block is just the opposite. Uh, say your driver decided that there was a particular block that didn't need to be in the cache anymore, you could delete it from the cache specifically. Move info is not, not really specific to the cache, but that's where it's used most often. You do a, a cache find block, you find the block on a recall for example, so you know where it is, and so you call move info to move the contents of that block from the cache into the, the data buffer that the caller supplied. It's a fast memory-to-memory move routine. It also gives you a few features like you can move a block of memory into a single I.O. location or take information from a single I.O. location and move it into a block. You can control the direction of the build. You can use it with quick or We're still in need for building. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, okay, that, that pretty much covers the cache. Next we've got uh, GSOS has its own internal memory manager, which we're making available to you. Uh, as probably a lot of people know, the, the system, the toolbox memory manager can get a little clogged if it has to manage a lot of small memory blocks. Uh, so that's why we added uh, 
a little internal memory manager that handles a lot of these small, you know, 8 byte, 16 byte, uh, 64 byte memory blocks for you. And that's what these calls do. Uh, Alex sag allocates uh, memory segment. Release, obviously, does the opposite. It releases the memory segment back to our internal memory manager. Block mem locks all of GSOS managed memory so that normally the OS keeps its memory handles unlocked so that they can move around if necessary. If you need it, call lock. If, if you've got something in the system and you need to use it, lock it down, use it, and then call unlock mem to allow those things to float around again. Uh, all of these calls where you, where you allocate a segment or you release a segment use this thing we call a virtual pointer. It's not an actual hard, you know, it's not a hard address within the machine. It's this virtual pointer that you must call DREP to dereference that pointer into an actual memory address. And the OS uses this for that case where the memory blocks can move around. The virtual pointer is going to be the same in all cases, but the actual hard memory location is going to be different depending on where it is at the moment. Unless you like paint, don't try to dereference the virtual pointer without calling the end. Now, some of these other system service calls uh, allow you to communicate with the OS. Instead of, instead of using some of its services, it allows you to communicate with the OS. Uh, swap out says right there, marks the volume is offline. If your driver gets called and you notice that the disk isn't, isn't there anymore, you, can, you, can, you should call, set disk switch, uh, swap out, can mark the volume as offline as well. But you should definitely call set disk switch to let the device dispatcher know that the disk has been ejected or inserted or something. That way the device dispatcher will clean up the cache if there were any blocks left, left in the cache from that particular device. Uh, signal allows you to set a signal. Say, for example, you need to do something, you need to use a service of the OS that isn't available right at the moment because the OS is busy. You can set a signal to the OS saying, please notify me on your exit procedures. That's what the signal is for. You set a signal, you exit, the, the OS does a little bit of cleanup, and then it calls you right back and says, okay, you're free to do whatever you need to do right now. Uh, unbind int vect allows you to unbind an interrupt vector that you have previously bound to the, the interrupt handlers in the OS. Uh, this is the, the one and only exception where you can call an application level call to bind the interrupt to the system. There is no bind int system service vector. The bind int will work. On startup. It, right. Because the OS isn't loaded yet. <laughs> right. Okay. So when your driver, say for example, your driver gets a startup call when it's loaded, and you want to bind yourself to an interrupt that your device is going to be generating, you would call bind in the application level bind in to bind yourself to the interrupt vector. Naturally, on shutdown, you want to unbind yourself again, but you can't because the OS is busy. You're in the middle of a shutdown call. That's why the system service vector is there. And you also can't use a signal because by the time the signal executes, the OS is gone already. And you leave this interrupt out there hanging around. Go ahead. I have a question. 
Uh, can I call bind in in the middle of an ARM signal control call if I want to bind the neural vector in? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of the miscellaneous services that we have available for you is set sys speed allows you to set the system speed. If you've got a device that is dependent upon the clock rate of the processor, then call set sys speed to make sure that the machine is executing at that speed. Say, for example, you've got a five and a quarter driver. What? This is built into the div. If you have it set right in the div, the OS calls it for you. You can do it yourself. You can do it yourself. Right. So, like, say, say, well, yeah, that was <laughs> 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 right? Say, do like. Uh, supervisor driver dispatch allows you to communicate with your supervisor, with your device manager. Uh, obviously, there is no application level equivalent, so you got to get to it somehow. That's why the system service vector is there. Uh, install driver allows your supervisor or whatever to dynamically install a driver. Uh, I think, for example, the CD-ROM driver, say, for example, you insert a CD-ROM that has one partition. Then you eject it and you insert one with three partitions. There's got to be those extra divs added. And that's, that's why install driver is there. It has to be done dynamically. Uh, dynamic slot arbiter. Okay. Yes, sir. We got some confusion in the audience. Actually, it's more just kind of general confusion. A bunch of these things are duplicated in ROM03, but they're not in ROM01. Was there any particular reason? Like they show up somewhere else at another address? You mean in like Bank E1? Uh, I think it's E1 down around like 300, somewhere around there. And you're asking why they weren't yeah, in ROM01? Is there any particular reason that they're there? Yeah. Go ahead. You oh, the, there are three of the system service vectors duplicated in ROM3, and the code for them is in the ROM, although it's replaced with the OS code and the OS boots. They are move info, memory mover, slot arbiter, and set speed. And the reason for this is that various parts of the ROM call them. The text tools call the slot arbiter to try to set things up correct for when there is a dynamic slot arbiter in the system. And so if there had to be a vector in, in a constant memory for them to be able to call. Okay. That's why they're there. Thanks. Okay. Great. Yeah. Uh, you, can, you can dynamically install a driver. Can you remove it? No. Once the driver is installed, the only way to remove is to shut down, right? But it doesn't, it, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't get in the way or anything. And that's why we, we've told people that when you're building a list of devices, you can't do it once and then assume it's the same. Every time you build a list of devices, you have to walk the device list until you get an invalid device number. And you know from that point on it's never going to shrink, but it may grow. Yeah, man. This install driver is not such that, okay, I've got a scanner hooked up, I didn't have my scanner driver, I'll drop it in the system folder and I'll do an install driver. That's not what this is for. Uh, what it's for is, like you said, if you have a CD with two partitions on it, you eject it, put in three. You can't get to that third unless the device dispatcher knows about it, and this is a way to inform him that there's this new div that he needs to uh, add to his list. Yeah, these, these system service vectors are not normally available to the application level because when these are called, the OS has to be there, and it has to, be, it has to have its direct page available and it its own stack. Things have to be set up as if you were in the middle of an OS call. Leave it at that. All right, dynamic slot arbiter. Uh, in 5.0, this call was added. It, it doesn't actually dynamically allocate a particular slot to your device. 
what it does right now is simply returns to you, returns information to your driver, whether or not that particular slot is either using the internal firmware or the external firmware that's in a car. Uh, in the future, we hope to take a close look at that and see if we can actually get dynamic slot arbitration working and add se effectively add seven slots to the GS. Uh, I don't know if those were yays or groans, but uh, <laughs> probably a little yay. both. Probably. Just, it's, it's great for, for hooking things up, but boy is it a headache when you go to access something, right? Uh, to dispatch to the system service call, there are various ways of passing the parameters to each particular vector. Uh, and that wasn't done just to confuse everybody, that was done for performance reasons and what have you. Uh, like, for example, the memory, the memory allocation calls pass things back and forth in registers for speed, obviously. Uh, the cache calls usually pass information back and forth in the direct page parameter area. Some of the other calls pass things back and forth on the stack, just like a, like a toolbox function or whatever. So the first thing you do is set up the parameters however the call needs to have them set up. Uh, then you just simply execute a JSL instruction to the vector, which is in uh, bank one uh, FC hundred area of memory, and it's it, it's documented in the driver reference or volume two, whichever. When the call completes, you simply uh, clean up the stack if you had anything left on the stack. You take care of whatever parameters were returned to you. You check for errors, whatever. You know, it's, it's like a normal like a toolbox call, if you will. So, does anybody have any questions, uh, real quick, on the uh, system service vector? Good, then I can pass it over to Matt and let him tell you about the guts of that's close. Uh, get rid of that real quick. Okay. Wow. One thing that needs to be common among all your uh, device drivers. How's that? Okay. Is the structure of the uh, the front end when the driver's loaded? First thing that needs to be in the file is the header, which has some information about the driver. Configuration parameter lists. For example, if your driver needs to run in a default situation at boot, but that can be modified by an application or something later, then the uh, configuration list uh, would contain that information, so if you got a reset call, you could reset to your default. Um, device information blocks, this is a pointer to where the div actually exists, and that then is a linked list. If you're going to start up with four devices, you would have a link of four divs together. And then your driver code segment. Each div has in it a pointer to the code that handles that device. And at least currently, most of the drivers I've seen, that code is common code segment between those divs. For example, in the SCSI driver, if you have partitions, you're going to have three, four, five divs. They all point to the same driver. The divide the divs, you have you really need at least one at startup time, but you can add them later and have them elsewhere in memory, you can allocate it. That way you don't use memory for these divs that you may or may not need. There's more information in that 
also in volume two. Okay, the device driver header consists of a, an offset to the first div, which is why I uh, said that you need that first one. It's, it's a word offset, so it's got to be somewhere, at least within the same bank. Um, a device count, number of devices that you're going to support. And this does not limit you to that number of devices. Uh, you can put one in here indicating start up just one, but if you need to add more, you can't. It's just a way of indicating how many you're going to start off with. And then the offsets to configuration lists for the devices. Um, and it's up to the drivers to how much of this, of the list it supports. It needs to have the pointers, but they can be null, indicating that there is no miss. Okay, the device driver configuration parameter list. I haven't used them myself, so I'm not too familiar with them, but basically it's just a word length of the data for the configuration and then the configuration list itself, followed by um, the uh, default configuration list and the data for that. And that list can continue on depending on how long the data is. The good thing that you might want to use these configuration lists for is let's say uh, you had a device that you wanted to be able to come up in a default condition every time. You put that in the put the information that it takes to set that device up in the default configuration list. And then if the user changes any of those parameters, you can put those in the current configuration list. There's two calls that you can make to the device manager uh, that will return the uh, well there's one call that you can call that makes that returns the configuration list the current one. And basically once you have that current information, you can manipulate it and then send it back and set the configuration, the current configuration to something different. But it's always going to come up in the first place with whatever's in the default configuration list. Thanks. Um, this is a diagram of the device information block itself. It starts off with a length pointer. What this is is a pointer to the next div in your list. Uh, the last div would have a null pointer. Uh, that tells the device dispatcher it can stop there and not issue any more startup calls. Um, if you do have to use a install driver call, what you would do is go to your last div, change that null to a pointer to the next div, and uh, when you called, uh, you would also indicate where that was, and then you would have this length list. So, uh, the long word is the uh, next one field is a long word pointer to the code itself. This is what the device dispatcher is going to call when. Uh, uh, some request is being made of this device uh, represented by this div. Following that is the characteristics word. This contains information as to whether it's a block device, character device, whether or not it's removable, uh, whether it's online, offline. Um, is that in the handout? In the handout it's got, it shows exactly what bids mean what. <laughs> right. I'm going to just uh, really look over the handout. But uh, why don't I just refer you to that for uh, all the information there. Uh, block count, fairly self-explanatory. If you have a block device, this will be the number of blocks contained on that. If, for example, it's a tape drive and you have 8K blocks, these blocks would be 8K blocks. It's not a translation of there's this many blocks of 512 bytes. It's there's this many physical blocks. Character devices, block count would be zero. That's the way the OS know. That's another way for the OS to know that it is a um, 
character device. Following the block count, it is a, uh, a simple pass count string that contains the device name. Um, if uh, at all possible, try not to write your driver such that it requires this to be certain uh, strings. You can set it up for a default. Uh, that's really all you should ever have to do with it because there is the de-rename call and something can come in and change the name of your device if it wants. Um, it's just merely there for uh, overhead management. I'm going to go ahead and slide this up. Uh, following the device name, slot number, and unit number, the, this indicates to the OS where this device lives. The, these are very important. If, uh, again, in the case of SCSI where we can ask multiple loaded drivers, um, if two divs contain the same slot number and unit number, the uh, next field is going to be used by the device dispatcher. It's going to check the version, and whichever div has the highest version will be kept alive, and the other one will receive a shutdown call. Um, this is how, even if my driver gets loaded first, the HD driver, as I was mentioning earlier, and mounts all hard disks, and then a, spec a specific driver gets loaded for a certain hard drive, and it, it can claim it, and it can actually claim it away from my driver by high, having a higher version number than the Apple HD driver. That way, you don't have to worry which order they get loaded. You can actually uh, take it away. Did you mess them up? Um, device ID, um, that's the type of ID. There should be a table, I hope, in the handouts of these. Okay, great. And there, it's, it's quite a wide list. It covers uh, a very wide range of devices, and there is room for growth in it. I don't know if you left the uh, $XX uh, device type still in there. Um, head link and forward link. In the case of <clears throat> partition media. It may be that you have a driver that's talking to, say, two hard disks. One of them, uh, neither one is partitioned, so you have a div for the first hard disk, a div for the second hard disk. And the first hard disk is partitioned and you've added a div. So you have, I'm going to go to the white uh, chalkboard for this if you're going to chalk. Okay. So you've got your, your div list and the first one points to the second one. Then you repartition it, and you now add this third div that this one in turn points to. This one has nothing to do with either of these, but you need some way of tying these two together. What the head link is, is each div that's part of this device, the head link will point to him. So if we have a whole list of them, um, they would all point to him as the head device, and this one would not because it's not contained. The forward link, this one would point to him, and the forward link, and this one would point to him, and then this one would point nowhere. It's a way of keeping partitions tied to each other, even though they're not contiguous in your div list. It also makes it uh, nice for the uh, finder or other applications if they want to eject a piece of uh, media they can walk this list and they know which ones to issue the eject call to um, without getting too confused. Speaking of which, if you, if you eject, uh, say you have a removable drive, but with a couple of partitions on if you eject uh, one of the partitions, that is it supposed to eject all of them? Um, I do that by just marking that particular partition as soft offline. 
It's not completely offline physically, but it's soft offline. I will not issue the physical eject call to the device until somebody has issued the eject to every partition. Otherwise, you could have volumes that are needed disappear mysteriously, and we don't need that. I think that might happen if you eject the first partition. No, it okay. shouldn't. Same thing. Better not. If it does, we need to know about it. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing goes for Apple Talk. When you start dragging Alphabet forever volumes off into the trash from the finder, uh, what happens is it still has to keep a connection with the server, and when it sees that the last device in this list in this linked list is uh, been dismounted or thrown away, whatever, it basically does a log off call to the server. Next field is extended dip pointer. Um, these bytes here, these 40 hex bytes, are really limited in what they contain. Uh, for example, there's no place in here to put what physical block is logical block zero in partition media. And so with this extended dip pointer, it, it's just a pointer to where you have an extension. That extension has no defined format. It can be whatever you need. Um, it can contain code additional information, flags about the device, whatever you need to make that device management easier for you. Uh, and in fact, that really isn't even displayed to the outside world. Only the pointer is. They can get the pointer, they can look at it, but it's not going to make any sense unless they know your structure. The last thing is the DIP device number. Um, that's where the number is going to be stored by the device dispatcher. And this field is not valid until the startup call has completed successfully. 